Well, last week we started a series called Encourage. And in this series, we're talking about just what the Word says. We're talking about this practice, this discipline that gets such heavy emphasis in the New Testament. And last week, uh, if you were here, I challenged each of us, myself included, to be intentional about this. And specifically to text someone or call someone or send someone a card, whatever it may be, just to reach out and give a word of encouragement on purpose to at least one person this past week. And it was not my intention, by the way, for you to send me. This was not me fishing, okay? I wasn't fishing for compliments to me, but I do appreciate those who sent me some words of encouragement uh, for, uh, for myself this week and uh, all the encouragement that you sent my way. Hopefully, though, you sent it to some other people's way as well because we all need all the encouragement we can get, right? I mean, I, I don't know uh, of any person who's ever said, you know what? That's all the encouragement I can take. Please don't give me any more. I'm, I'm just full up on encouragement. Please, you need to cut it off right there. No, because we all need encouragement. And so hopefully you took the time to intentionally encourage someone this past week, whether it be by text or by call or card, whatever it may be, because again, we all need encouragement. And by the way, uh, why not continue that again this week? I'll give you another challenge to text at least another person, somebody different. And if you texted, you know, hopefully you, you texted maybe someone who you don't normally text or call or uh, see or send a card to. Maybe it's someone outside of your comfort zone or maybe someone you don't know all that well. Um, send them a text. Send them a card. Uh, send them a, uh, a, give them a call as well. Although, specifically, if you did text someone last week, I should have warned you just to make sure that what you texted didn't get autocorrected, right? Anybody ever had that happen to us? All of us have probably, who text, have had something like that happen where you, you text something and then you send it and autocorrect corrects it before you have a chance to really process what exactly you just said, and hopefully it hasn't gotten you into too much trouble. But it does remind me of a story I heard about a grandma and her first smartphone, and her grandkids were trying to teach her how to text. And so they'd text with grandma, and grandma was kind of picking up on the little abbreviations a little bit, and they'd send emojis and do all the things that uh, young kids do. And, and again, grandma was picking up on that. And in particular, she picked up on a little phrase that they would often use, LOL. Now, many of you know what that means, I'm guessing. Uh, maybe I'm going to inform some of you today. But most of us know that LOL means laugh out loud, right? And so, the, you know, her kids were sending texts and, and LOL. Well, grandma didn't know what it meant, and she didn't think to ask what it meant. She just assumed that it meant uh, lots of love, and so she starts using it all the time, and you can kind of see where this is going. I heard your brother passed away, LOL. <laughs> I heard you got some bad news from the doctor, LOL, you know. <laughs> you see, we all know what it is to have our words misinterpreted at times. Now, I, I still think, as I said last week, a clumsy attempt at encouragement is better than no attempt, but words can be misinterpreted understood and misinterpreted. However, today we are going to look at a form of encouragement that I think is almost impossible to misunderstand. So a little context as we get into our lesson today. If you read through the New Testament, one of the things that you will see is one of the major players, so to speak, in the New Testament, aside from Jesus, obviously, is a guy by the name of Paul. 
Paul, in fact, wrote about half of our New Testament, and he was central to God's plan of the spread of the gospel and the sharing of the good news of Jesus and what he has done for us. But that also meant, while that's good in some ways, it's good in every way, that also meant that that landed him in some hot water with those who didn't like Jesus, with those who crucified Jesus and were out to squelch this Christian movement. And so Paul spent quite a bit of time, consequently, in jail, for preaching the good news of Jesus. And in particular, he was in prison a couple of different times in the city of Rome. Now, the first time is at the end of the book of Acts, and he's on house arrest. It's not, you know, super confined. He's got people that can come and go. Uh, He's expecting to be released. And so he's enjoying the fellowship of many dear friends and brothers and sisters in Christ in this particular situation. But the second time he's in prison in Rome, he's not in a house. He's in a jail cell. He's in a dungeon, and he is not expecting to, re- to be released. In fact, he, is, he knows that probably more than likely he's going to be executed, and instead of being surrounded by friends, he is isolated from even uh, those who, not just who are, you know, outside, but from Christians in particular, and even in some ways abandoned by other Christians because of what he is in particular going through, and it's in that place that he writes and introduces us to what I think is the single most powerful way to encourage. It's also what I think is the easiest way to encourage, and we'll get into that. Here's what we read in the very last letter Paul ever wrote, 2 Timothy, and we read this in chapter 1, verses 15 through 18. You know that everyone in the province of Asia has deserted me, including Phagellus and Hermogenes. By the way, there's going to be a spelling test afterwards. May the Lord show mercy to the household, because we're not done yet. May the Lord show mercy to the household of Onesiphorus, because he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. On the contrary, when he was in Rome, he searched hard for me until he found me. May the Lord grant that he will find mercy from the Lord on that day. You know very well in how many ways he helped me in Ephesus. Paul says he often refreshed me and was not afraid of my chains. So what did Onesiphorus do? Well, to put it simply, he showed up. Onesiphorus showed up because perhaps the single most important how-to of encouragement is authentic presence. If we're going to encourage and refresh each other, we've got to understand that it requires our authentic presence presence. That's why I say it is the easiest because it just requires you showing up, and yet it's also sometimes the hardest because other things get in the way. But you think about what happened to Jesus. In his darkest moment, the people that he had done life with for several years abandoned him, didn't show up. And now for Paul, his greatest crisis has arrived, but his closest friends didn't, including Phygelus and Hermogenes. He just could not believe that they could not or would not come to see him. And by the way, um, this is all we know about these guys. Can you imagine getting your name in the Bible and this is what we know about you? That you're the kind of friends who don't show up when a brother needs you the most. You see, what discouraged Paul was not the possibility of dying for Jesus. He was ready to do that. But rather the thought of dying alone. There's kind of a melancholy spirit in his very last letter because he's wrestling with this. And so over in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 16, he writes, At my first defense, no one came to my support, but everyone deserted me. May it not be held 
against them. And you can see him just kind of wrestling with this, right? You can see him kind of processing, you know, I I don't want to be bitter. I don't want to be angry, but I'm really hurting that nobody showed up. Now, Paul's not going to abandon the faith, okay? In fact, in the very next verse, in verse 17, he writes, but the Lord stood by my side and gave me strength. So he recognizes God's presence. He also goes on to write earlier in that chapter, or he writes earlier in that chapter, in verse 7, I fought the good fight. I finished the race. I've kept the faith, that, you know, section of uh, passage that we know very well. And so Paul's not going to abandon the faith, and he knows it, but what he doesn't know, or what he didn't know, was that some of his friends were going to abandon him. And it's one reason why he spent his last days remembering the people that he knew he could count on. And the person he thought about perhaps the most was his son in the faith, a guy by the name of Timothy. And he starts the letter, this last letter that he wrote, by saying in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 3 and 4, I thank God, whom I serve, as my ancestors did, With a clear conscience, as night and day, I constantly remember you in my prayers, recalling your tears. I long to see you so that I may be filled with joy. And so here's this old saint, this old warrior of, uh, you know, for God. He's about to die and he says, Timothy, I I think about you all the time. And there's nothing that would bring me more joy than than if I could just see you one more time. And he says something similar to this at the end of the book in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 19. He says, greet Priscilla and Aquila. By the way, if they were there, they, if they were in Rome, they would have been there. No doubt they would have gone to visit Paul. But then he also adds at the end of this, and greet Priscilla and Aquila and the household of Onesiphorus. There's that name again. This little known disciple made such a huge impression on Paul. And again, what did he do? Paul says, well, he refreshed me. Another translation says, may the Lord show special kindness to Onesiphorus and all his family because he often visited and encouraged me. He was never ashamed of me because I was in chains. Again, what did Onesiphorus do that was so encouraging? He showed up. He showed up. And maybe he brought food. Maybe he brought some medicine. Maybe he brought news of how the other churches were doing because Paul would have wanted to know those things. Maybe he brought some fresh clothes and some blankets. We don't know exactly what he brought, but what we do know is that the most important thing he brought was himself, which, by the way, he came all the way from Ephesus, which means he didn't just cross the street to get to Paul or across town. He crossed the Adriatic Sea to go and visit his friend. Because the most important thing Onesiphorus brought was himself because he understood there is no encouragement more powerful than authentic, caring presence. And he did it in the face. I mean, we just kind of read some, sometimes these stories and we don't realize the gravity of the situation. He does this in, in, at great risk to himself and, and in the face of great fear. Because understand, Paul has been convicted of, of, of he's been you know, deemed as a traitor, guilty of treason. He's about to be executed. He's guarded in a dungeon by soldiers who are about to kill him, loyal to Caesar. And so you can understand why other Christians aren't just itching to show up, right? It truly was at great expense and great risk that Onesiphorus came to see Paul, but he did so again and again. And this is a how-to that us as the people of God need to get back to. Because we live... We live in this weird age where everybody is connected and yet hardly anybody has life-giving connections. And I think I'm not going to 
you know, be the, the guy. I'm trying not to be the guy. But I think part of the reason is these right here. And that's not the only reason, but I think that has affected a lot of our walk and our relationships. Now, these things are also wonderful. And I'm sure many of you use them to call or text and give encouragement to someone this past week and may do so this week and again the following week. But the reality is that they take over our lives to the degree that even when we are with people, we're not really with people. Even when we're present, we're not really present because we're staring at that. And so you go to any store, go to any restaurant, right? And you'll see families sitting around looking at their phones, not engaging in conversation and community with each other, right? And, 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 and we are deceived into thinking that because we have so many friends and we have so many likes that we have community. And I'm not saying, again, I'm not here to, to bash those things. I think those are tools that can be used. But the reality is that we are the, we are the most connected and yet the most disconnected culture our nation has ever known. Uh, several years ago, and this was even before everything that happened with COVID, which has just exacerbated all of these things, but the Surgeon General of the United States wrote about what he thought, thinks, he's still alive, is the largest epidemic in our country. So here's what he wrote. He said, during my tenure as U.S. Surgeon General and my years caring for patients, the most common pathology I saw is not heart disease or diabetes. It is loneliness. The elderly man who came to our hospital every few weeks seeking relief from chronic pain was also looking for human connection. He was lonely. The middle-aged woman battling advanced HIV who had no one to call to inform she was sick, she too was lonely. I have found that loneliness was often in the background of clinical illness contributing to the disease and making it harder for patients to cope and heal. And he went on to talk about all of the major health epidemics in our country today and how behind so many of them, if not all of them, is in fact the biggest problem of loneliness. Reminded me of an article I read with a lot of research to back it up, but the premise of the article basically said, if you want to live, if you want to live longer, here's, here's the research, what, what the research is showing. More important than quitting smoking, more important than quitting drinking, more important than exercising, find a community and get in it every single week. And that's why when you read the pages of Scripture, and it talks about discipleship and following Jesus. It doesn't just talk about community and being connected to other brothers and sisters in Christ. It's just something that's like, yeah, it'd be nice if you did it. Like, it's good, but not really necessary. No, it talks about community and being connected to other brothers and sisters in Christ as vitally essential to your being a follower of Jesus and to the health and well-being of your soul and your body. Now, I'm not saying you can't love Jesus by yourself, and you can't worship Jesus by yourself. But there is something powerful about a community of believers holding each other accountable and growing together. Some of you who are uh, of a certain age demographic will remember one of the most popular shows on TV, uh, a show by the name of Cheers. And they had one of the all-time great theme songs, right? We could probably sing it now. Uh, but words, you know, uh, making your way in the world today takes everything you got, right? 
Taking a break from all your worries sure would help a lot. Wouldn't you like to get away? I know American Airlines is, is kind of, you know, coined that phrase, but uh, wouldn't you like to get away? Sometimes you want to go where, where everybody knows your name, and they're always glad you came. You want to be where you can see your troubles are all the same. You want to go where everybody knows your name. And if you watch that show, you know that it was set in a bar. But you also know that it wasn't really about a bar or drinking. It was about people trying to find community. I'll say what I said last week. You don't just need a personal relationship with Jesus. You need a shared relationship with Jesus. And you can give someone no greater present than your authentic, attentive, caring presence. Because presence is a gift that everyone needs. And anybody can give. It is a gift every one of us needs, and every one of us, any one of us, can give. We're not talking here about some special calling or special gifting that just a few in the body of Christ can give. Anybody can show up, and everybody ought to do it. Just listen to what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 25. He tells a parable about the future. It's kind of a long reading, but, but just stick with me and listen to what he says. This is what he says, in, in, starting in verse 31. I'm not going to read the whole passage, but... Um, it's in, uh, like I said, Matthew chapter 25. He says, when the Son of Man comes in his glory, so he's talking about the future again, and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne, and all the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate the people from one another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. Listen to this part. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in, or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? And the king will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me also. You see, here's the reality. When you show up before the king one day, and you will, he's going to ask each and every one of us, did you show up for each other? And all of us can think of a time in our life when we were renewed and restored and refreshed, dare I even say rescued, by someone who took the time just to be present with us, where we were and in what we were going through. But here's the deal. You need to know this. Maybe you already know this to a certain extent, but you need to be reminded of this if you already know. The ministry of encouragement and refreshment is both free and costly. Maybe we need to, to recognize that before we, you know, get into it, just to remind ourselves. Here's what I mean. There are a lot of things that you don't need to start being a refresher and an encourager. You do not need a degree in ministry or counseling, okay? You don't need those things. You also don't need a whole lot of money. You don't need training. You don't need a budget. You don't even need some special ministry organized to tell you to go do it. 
The ministry of encouragement is free, but it's also expensive because what you will need is to be more selfless. Onesiphorus never said, what's in it for me? He never said, well, I mean, go all the way to Rome. I mean, what's, what's in it for me? I know Paul's there, you know. What, what, what's in it for me? Because love doesn't ask what's in it for me. Love is not self-seeking, right? It's also going to take us being more intentionally aware, more spiritually discerning. Paul didn't send out an email, okay? He didn't send out a text. He really wasn't able to get any kind of uh, notification out to anybody. That's why he says that Onesiphorus had to search hard for him, right? He had to go out of his way. There's probably more than one dungeon, right? Rome's, it's not like Rome's got one dungeon, and that's where everybody goes. So he's got to search. Where is Paul? I've got to find him. I've got to go ask some questions. It's also going to take some humility. How many of you have ever heard, maybe a handful, how many of you have ever heard the name Onesiphorus before today, <laughs> right? Probably far fewer of us could spell it other than looking at it. Because refreshers and encouragers don't always get a lot of attention, and they don't do it for the attention. They don't always get the rewards or the awards. They don't always get the applause. A lot of times, refreshment and encouragement they bring goes largely unnoticed except to those who they refresh and encourage. And except for heaven. Because in heaven, they get a lot of notice. And then maybe most of all, you're going to need a lot of courage. Onesiphorus was a bold man. He had to be to walk into a dungeon guarded by soldiers who want to kill a guy who's scheduled to be killed and to walk up to them and say, hey, do you mind? My friend's in there. I need a few moments with him. It's not easy for any of us, including myself. I can't tell you how many times that I have held a phone in my hand to make a call or stood outside of a, a hospital room or maybe even in the parking lot and, and not that I'm afraid to go in, but I just feel inadequate. And, and, I, and I, I, I go into that situation thinking, and just praying, Father, there, I'm about to walk into a situation that there's a lot of pain, there's a lot of hurt, and I don't have the words to say. I'm not going to get it perfect. I just know you want me to show up. And he helps us. And here's what's, here's what's so often happens. I'm not saying all the time, but here's what so often happens. The person you talk to, the person you go see, they are encouraged and they are refreshed, not only because of your presence, but also by your presence, you, you, you take some of their pain and their hurt on you. You take it with you. And it's worth it. What you take is worth it because of what you brought yourself. Because God often, here's the key, God often communicates his presence through your presence. Now, I know that God is everywhere, right? We, we believe that. But I also know, and Scripture affirms this, that God's presence is powerfully manifested and felt in the presence of other brothers and sisters in Christ. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 18, For where two or three gather in my name, there I am with them. Paul told the Corinthian church, so when you come together, I am with you in spirit and the power of our Lord Jesus is present. God manifests his presence in a powerful way in the presence of one another. Now, a little side note here. 
I love online church. I love the fact that we can offer online church. It is such a blessing to some of you who, and, and, and others who are watching, who maybe you can't be here because you're sick. Or maybe, that, you know, for those who are shut in and can't get out, it is such a, ble- or whatever reason it may be, it is such a blessing, and I'm so glad that we get to offer that. And some have even been, you know, convicted to, to come and, and worship with us because of just watching us online, even though they weren't connected to us before. And that is such a gift that we are able to give. But it is a supplement. It is not a substitute. It can't be. It can't be. It can never be a substitute for corporate worship, ever. Because there is something about the presence of God that you miss when you're not in the presence of other brothers and sisters in Christ. And perhaps even more important than that and something that we don't often think about, there's something about the presence of God that your brother or sister in Christ misses when you're not present that you might give to them. That's one of the reasons why we believe that an essential part of following Jesus is doing life together. Again, you can love Jesus by yourself. You can worship Jesus by yourself. But you can't do life with others by yourself. And we believe that everybody needs to be in community with other believers because we believe that there is some expression of God's presence and grace that simply cannot be felt and experienced except in the presence of other believers gathered together in worship and fellowship because there is nothing, there is no gift, there is no present more powerful than your authentic presence with your brothers and sisters. And isn't that what God did at Bethlehem? You know, a few weeks we're going to celebrate Christmas, right? We're going to celebrate, and hopefully we're mindful of of what God did in, in sending his son and coming into this world. But isn't that what God did and said at Bethlehem? He didn't just send, not that there's anything wrong with sending a text or a card or a call, but he didn't just send a text or make a call or send a card. No, he did one better. He showed up in person because it was so important to God for you to know how desperately he loves you that he came in a way that you could not misunderstand. And by the way, one day he's going to show up again. And I hope that finds you or you find that to be so encouraging.